And uh, if you didn't get a bulletin, uh, you might want to grab a bulletin uh, to use for our responsive reading. Uh, I've printed the uh, words to the responsive reading in your bulletin with a color code there, blue for me and red for you. Uh, this uh, will help us to appreciate the structure of this psalm. And it will also, uh, I think, uh, be able to point out to you, uh, make obvious to you some of the patterns that we see in it. A uh, beautiful psalm uh, that we can enjoy together. So let's read this uh, portion of God's word responsibly then. I'll give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death, and burst their bonds apart. Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them, and delivered them from their destruction. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven, they went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits' end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men, for his shadow to those who are 
He turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. He turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water, and there he lets the hungry dwell. And they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. By his blessing, they multiply greatly, and he does not let their livestock diminish. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Well, let's take a few moments and uh, look at this psalm together, which has uh, so much truth packed into it. Uh, don't miss the second person imperative right at the beginning of this psalm. Okay? You as a congregation are being addressed by this psalm. All of you together are being commanded to do something. Implicit in the imperative, of course, is that it is the Lord who is commanding you. He's commanding you to do something very specific. And so from the very beginning of the psalm, Psalm 107 is a word from God that demands your obedience. Some people like to read uh, imperatives like this as invitations, but they're not really invitations in the sense that uh, you can feel free to accept or decline them at your pleasure. God is speaking to you right now. A word of command here in this psalm. What is he commanding you to do? Well, there's, there, there comes in the text now a, a word that's translated, uh, give thanks. It, it's interesting that there's really no specific word in the Hebrew language that, that corresponds precisely to our word for giving thanks. There, there's no word like uh, to thank in, in Hebrew that can be applied to both, both people uh, and, and to God. The word translated uh, give thanks here actually has as its core meaning to confess. To confess in the sense of acknowledging something as true. So you're being called to acknowledge something is true here. Now, of course, we're, we're used to using that, that term when we talk about confessing our sins. Okay, When we confess our sins, we're acknowledging that God is true, God is right uh, about what he says about our condition. We're agreeing with him in a sense that we are sinners when we make confession. Uh, so, so take that, that meaning to agree with or to acknowledge something is true. Keep that in your mind as you, as you think about what we're being commanded to do here. And notice too, by the way, uh, this, this is not primarily a feeling thing. Uh, you're not being commanded to make an emotional response here. 
Now, you, you can't really command your feelings anyway, can you? I mean, your feelings just sort of happen. And, and God's not commanding you to feel a certain way here. He's calling you to think a certain way, to, to think truly about yourself. Now, feelings may well accompany that. When you confess your sins, you, you may well have a feeling of grief and remorse for those sins. Uh, but the essence of the word here uh, is not focusing on your feelings. It's focusing on your, on your mind. You're being called to admit the truth and confess that truth. So because this word basically means uh, confess, to, to acknowledge and you, you acknowledge the truth about yourself, well, you also acknowledge, in a biblical sense, the truth about God. And so when you confess God, when you acknowledge what is true about God, you acknowledge that he is holy, uh, that he is just, that he is righteous. You acknowledge who he is. And, and so the, the Hebrew language came to use this particular term to to have the meaning of praise or give thanks. The, the idea is that if you're agreeing with God about who he is, that that causes you to praise him, to thank him. You see the connection there? So almost every time that, that you see uh, give thanks in the Old Testament, it's, it's this word to confess, to acknowledge something is true. So, so in being commanded to give thanks, you're being commanded to acknowledge something is true about God and therefore to give thanks to him. Now, that sets the stage then, that imperative, that command to you to give thanks, that sets the stage for the main idea of the whole psalm. And I'm sure you noticed it as we read, read through it. Here's the, the main idea of the whole, whole psalm. Why are we to give thanks? What is the motive for your giving thanks? What is it that really demands your thanksgiving, impels you, informs your thanksgiving? Well, there's two things there in that, in that first verse, aren't there? Why are we giving thanks? We're giving thanks, first of all, because God is good. So you're commanded to give thanks, and given the reason for that command... First of all, it's that God is good. God is good. He is righteous. He is holy. Aren't you thankful that God is good? You know, when, when we look at the world around us and all the trouble that we as sinful human beings have caused in this world, see the dire effects of our sin, isn't it wonderful to know God is is good. He is not like us. He is not like us. He is a good and righteous God. Hey, and, and so it makes perfect sense then. If God is good, then the most natural thing for us to do would be to praise and thank him, right? To be grateful for who he is. But, but we don't stop there because if if it was just that God is good, if that's the only truth that we had in Scripture, well, where would that leave us? We're not good. And if a good and righteous God is to continue being good and righteous, 
he must, he must judge sin. For God not to judge sin would not be good. And so God's very goodness means that his goodness expresses itself towards sinful human beings in wrath and judgment. But what else could it be? But thankfully, thankfully the imperative goes on, doesn't it? Because it doesn't stop just at God is good. It goes on to say, here's the second reason for giving thanks. Because his steadfast love endures forever. Here's a word in Hebrew. We translated steadfast love in this, uh, in this particular translation, this particular version. It, it's really such a rich word in the Hebrew language that, that we can't really translate it with just one or even a couple of English words. Okay, this word, well, it's, it's virtually everything that God is toward his covenant people. So, so, so it includes the, the idea of his love, his loyal love. Okay, unlike human love that has ups and downs, that wanes and ebbs, that sometimes goes away altogether, no... no you know, God's love for his covenant people is forever. The word here, forever, uh, sort of uses the, the imagery of, of to the vanishing point, okay? So it's like saying you can never see the end of God's love. It, it's, it's the idea of his faithfulness. He is faithful to his covenant promises. Remember, a covenant is all about promises. And so this word means that God is always faithful to the covenant promises he's made to his people. It includes the idea of mercy. Because how else can a holy God approach his sinful people except by extending them mercy? And so there's an enduring mercy involved here. It's all these things together. It's loving kindness. Sometimes we translate this word that way. It's all of those things that make up God's relationship with his people. And so we're doubly motivated to give thanks, aren't we? Because God is good. And because he, is, he has expressed that goodness to us in mercy, forgiveness, in loving kindness, in loyalty, covenant loyalty to all his promises and to his covenant people. And so that then, that imperative to give thanks then and those reasons why we give thanks then, then sets the stage for a series of stanzas that you probably noticed in, in the psalm as we are called to, to give thanks to God. And first of all, in, in that first section that you read in the psalm, in the responsive reading, the, the, the people who, who are his covenant people are identified. 
this is you if you're united with Christ by faith. You, you see your name right there in the first line in red there, right? The redeemed of the Lord. That, that's, that's you. God has, has awakened in you faith and drawn you to himself. You're the redeemed. That's, that's another word that's really rich, isn't it? It, it conveys, of course, the idea of, of uh, gaining or regaining possession of something uh, through the payment of, of some kind of uh, uh, sum of money or something like that. So we use it in that sense, in, a, in sort of a secular sense. But, of course, when it's, when it's used uh, of God, then it, it conveys the idea that God is regaining his people. He is rescuing them, delivering them. He is redeeming them from their, their enemies that had enslaved them. Uh, it's used, for instance, in Exodus chapter 6, where God describes his, the action he is about to undertake uh, to Moses. He says, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people. And I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Now notice that, that the Lord alone redeems his people here. That they don't contribute to the process. They, they do nothing to redeem themselves. And, and that he redeems them by his power. That's the image there of an outstretched arm that you heard in that text, by judging his and their enemies, great acts of judgment. And you probably caught to the personal tone to this. Isaiah emphasizes the personal relationship that God has with his people that's behind his act of redeeming. He says in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 2, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Later on, he says, Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Later on in the book, in chapter 62, he again uses exactly the same phrase that we see in Psalm 105. They shall be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. Of course, to be... To be redeemed for the Israelites, in this sense, brought earthly blessings. They were freed from their slavery in Egypt. But we know that that, that earthly blessing is a metaphor for the real blessings, the genuine blessings, the true blessings that come when the Lord reveals himself as the redeemer of his people in an eternal sense, redeeming us not from some earthly predicament, though he does that as well, but redeeming us from slavery to sin. Our ultimate redemption then uh, doesn't come in this life. We, we could say there, there are many redemptions that we, we experience, that those times when, when, when God delivers us through a difficult time in life, when he, when he supplies our needs in one way or the other, and in the, the uh, examples that were given here in Psalm 105. But, but our ultimate redemption 
doesn't come in this life. It comes in the resurrection. It, and so Job can, can profess his faith in chapter 19 and say, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth, and after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. So you thank the Lord then, because you know him as your redeemer, not merely from earthly enemies in distress, but as a redeemer who redeems you for himself from eternity. And notice also the imagery of gathering that we see at the, in the first part of that psalm, where, uh, where the psalmist says they are gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. That, that image of gathering, of course, is used here as, as pointing to the Jews being gathered out of exile from Babylon and other places they had been exiled. But, but ultimately, that the gathering is a prophetic image for what God does for all of his people. Isaiah puts it uh, this way in chapter 40. He, will, he, that is God, will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. And you remember that Jesus uses that exact imagery of himself, doesn't he? As the true shepherd of God's covenant people. The one who gathers them together into one flock. The one who redeems them with his own blood. Think about, for instance, the parable of the lost sheep that he tells. And, and his words when he says that he lays down his life for his flock. And so we see that in vivid imagery in Revelation chapter 5 where where John has this vision and he sees one who he describes as a lamb standing as though it had been slain. And, and, and all, of, all of heaven responds with worship because this one who has redeemed his people has made it possible uh, for God's redemptive plan to unfold. And so he's... he's acclaimed then with this song, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. So, you give thanks to God because he is good, because his steadfast love endures forever, and because he has gathered you into his people by redeeming you. Well, we don't have time to go through all the examples of, of distress in this psalm. You notice them already as, as we are reading through it, I'm sure. Uh, the, the images of being hungry, of being homeless, of being imprisoned, uh, of, of facing natural threats like uh, out on the ocean, uh, of being in distress because of our own sin. You notice that in a, a couple of these stanzas where the, the distress that people are, are facing is, seems to be a result of, of what they have done. But in every case, you heard that, you heard repeated that, that these people cried out to the Lord and he heard them and delivered them. And then you read that repeated refrain, let them then, because of what God has done for them, 
Thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. In the last part of the, the uh, psalm, the, the psalmist calls our attention to the Lord's sovereign power in all this. Uh, he, he is the one who can bring both calamity and blessing according to his will. Uh, but notice the, the climax there in, in the final lines of the, of the psalm. When they are diminished and brought low, that's when the Lord's people are brought low through oppression, evil, and sorrow. I mean, that's, that's life on this earth, isn't it? But we live in a fallen world, and so, so we face those times of distress. And, and when God's people face those, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in the trackless waste. They, those are the oppressors. So, so he reverses. He reverses the situation. They are brought down, next slide, but he raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. Ultimately, God's purpose for his people is redemption. It is to bless them and bring them into his presence. And so what's the verdict on that? Well, the upright see it and are glad. Those who rejoice in God's goodness are glad to see what he does. Wickedness shuts its mouth. What can it say in the face of what God has done so powerfully? So we're left then. Uh, we're left then with the question: Are you, are you the wise people? In the last verse of this psalm, whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. The very similar language in Hosea chapter fourteen: Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. And, and here's your takeaway, as the saying goes, the last line, that repeated theme that you've seen over and over in the psalm. Understand that the Lord's mercy, his steadfast love, his loving kindness, his covenant faithfulness is forever for you. As his people. And, and, and so as we read in, in 1 Thessalonians, in every circumstance you have reason for giving thanks. That, that doesn't mean you don't have hard times. That doesn't mean you don't experience bad things. But, but as you trust in the Lord's will, as you believe and profess by faith, it is an act of faith that he is good, and as you express your faith in his loving kindness, he enables you to persevere through those trials, to, to learn contentment even during those difficult times, to experience the, the goodness of his presence with you. And, and in the process, you, you'll begin to realize more and more that, that what you really ultimately need is God himself. God has promised that he will satisfy all of your needs in himself. You'll experience that some, I hope and pray, even in this life. 
as you as you sense that the goodness of God and, and as you believe that he is all that you need and you'll experience that in fullness and resurrected glory with him let's pray together Heavenly Father we do have many many reasons to give you thanks we could we could make up our own song about the distressing circumstances that we may have faced from time to time and, and how you got us through those, how you delivered us. Uh, but most of all, Lord, we're grateful that you have delivered us from the distress of our sin. Uh, that though we did not deserve it, you put your affection on us. That you loved us with an everlasting love. Even before we were created, you loved us and, and chose us for yourself. Uh, encourage us with that, Lord, and help us to encourage one another. Uh, it, it's natural for us to go through times where we, where we feel down, where, where we feel emotionally low. Uh, help us to encourage one another with this word of grace and hope and faith. Uh, that you're a good God. That your love for us is steadfast, never-ending. And that you've redeemed us to yourself. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.